0: So Joshua pretty much summed up my message in about six verses. I think maybe he's a better preacher than I am i uh appreciate what was shared Joshua um talking about living consistently and living as if our lives are different um, if i'd I had to title, put a title on my message today. It would be consistency in thoughts and speech. Something that God has really been working on me about in the last several weeks and months, especially. Um, a few questions to get us started here. Do we act differently around people that don't know us very well? As in, not as righteous or as quote-unquote Christian. Do we let some of our guard down? Do we try to make good impressions on those that don't know us? Do we keep up appearances to those that know us fairly well? Do we want to be thought of as a model person to those who know us well? Or do we hold nothing back around those who know us so well there is nothing left to hide? Matthew 23, there's a few verses here. This is not my main text, but it carries some of those thoughts. Matthew 23, first few verses, Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. And they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. And jumping down to verse 11. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. A few more thoughts, questions to get us thinking here. Do we have thoughts of what we wish we could say or what we want to do that we would be ashamed of or embarrassed of? Couple more verses that would carry those thoughts in Ephesians chapter 5. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives the circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace, for we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything." I'm not even in Ephesians. Didn't seem right. Apologize. Ephesians 5. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. But instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed for the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. And then a couple of verses in Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 30, the last two verses. The conclusion that when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it be good, or evil speaking of your thoughts are there things that we think that we would be ashamed of everything will be which is hidden will be exposed when things go wrong or different than planned do we have to bite bad words off of the end of our tongue especially if we're surprised do we use alternative or quote Christian cuss words? Some of you may be familiar with that term from the comedian Tim Hawkins. He has a whole list of published alternative or Christian cuss words. Do we use those to express our frustration, pain, anger, joy, disappointment, etc., etc.? Dr. James Ford Jr. says, the Christian life is 20% head knowledge and 80% behavior. That behavior is a thermometer of our heart. It's an indicator. I have seven points that I would like to... um, flesh out with scripture that detail a better response to the inconsistencies that I find in my own life. Like I said, the Lord has really been working on me the last month or so, specifically in what I think and don't say but also in what I may say to someone else about another situation. Someone that I feel comfortable or safe with. And I'll maybe kind of vent to them a little bit. And my true thoughts and intentions come out. I'm not insinuating that we should never vent or that we should... Never express frustration or anger, pain, disappointment. Because sometimes those things are very necessary to get out. I'm speaking of the, consist- the, the normal reaction of us to life circumstances. When there's disappointment, man, I was really counting, I was really hoping on this. But it didn't happen. What's my my first response? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Starting at verse 7, the last half of verse 7 through verse 13. first point is godly grief or sorrow produces repentance. Beginning, uh, he's speaking of Titus coming to them, coming to him and sharing a report from the first letter he delivered in the book of 1st Corinthians and he says um, he really comforted us by the words that he brought to us. Um, Also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, 1 Corinthians, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while, I now rejoice. Not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God in order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Verse 10 is the key here. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow, has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, What fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. In everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of the one offended, but that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. For this reason we have been comforted. I'll stop there. The result of... Sorrow, godly sorrow, or grief, may say in your translation, should be repentance, true repentance. I can be sad and be sorrowful over someone stealing my belongings, I can be sorrowful over wrecking my vehicle totaling it out, and i got to buy another one. That can cause me grief or sorrow, but it's only temporary, and it's only over just stuff. Paul's talking about a different kind of sorrow. That you were made sorrowful to the point... repentance for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God in order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us for the sorrow that it is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret no regrets no looking back man I really liked that car that really it's disappointing no there's no regrets there might be, there will be consequences for our wrong actions that we have repented from. But there's no regrets about the decision that I've made to go forward. Point number two, come out from the world and be separate. Go back one chapter to six Verses 14 through 18. Do not be bound together. Joshua already read these verses. Do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness or what harmony has Christ with Belial or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever or what agreement has the temple of God with idols for we are the temple of the living God just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Those verses are quoted from Isaiah 52. Um, say it's a quote. It's kind of a paraphrase. Isaiah 52 And verse 11 says, depart, depart, go out from there, touch nothing unclean. Go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. But you will not go out in haste, nor will you go as fugitives. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Then looking forward a little bit in Revelation, there's a similar passage given to believers. Revelation 18 and verse 4 says, and this is talking about, uh, this is right after the Babylon has fallen and uh, the great harlot in verse 17 has uh, been defeated. Verse 4 and 18, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you may not participate in her sins and that you may not receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Come out and be separate. Do we look different? Do we act different? And I say by look, I mean by our actions, do we appear different? Do we talk differently than the world around us, or is it difficult to discern? Well, not really sure if that person is a Christian or not. There should be a distinction. The third point: plain speech. Yes means yes very familiar passage from Matthew 5, Jesus shared what it means to be consistent. Matthew 5, verse 33 to 37 says, Again, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be, yes, yes, or no, no. And anything beyond these is of evil. That was very sobering for me. How many times is it Yes and no. Or is it hem-haw around, maybe yes, kind of, sort of, or extra words to maybe prove my certainty of yes or no? That was a big challenge to me. Plain speech. Jesus makes the point by saying not to make oaths by heaven, or by earth, or by Jerusalem, or by your head even. Well, that's personal. Well, you can't change any of those things. God, they are absolute. God determines what is true. And therefore, we should be accepting of his truth. Point number four, we can't judge fairly with our own faults in the way. Again, from Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount in Luke 6, verses 41 and 42. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. How many times have you heard that? I mean... Possibly hundreds of times. In Matthew, he says, Do not judge lest you be judged. But let the judgment you use be fair. For with the same judgment you use, you will be judged. When I filter... My, my environment through my own faults, the log in my eye, it's very, it's kind of a murky picture. It's very difficult to get a good objective view of what is around me when, when, all, when the main thing in front of me is my own faults. You know, they say, I've heard it said, that we become, we get... Upset about the things that we struggle with the most, we get upset at other people about the things that we struggle with the most. I find that true for myself. I start picking at people. I'm like, Man, that person, no, I won't do it to their face. No way. But I, I've, you know, talk to somebody else about it. Obviously, that person. I mean, you—they they, they did that. And then the Holy Spirit says, "But Chad." You you don't do so well in that same area. Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. The things that bother me in other people are no are the things that I know I have a problem with. That log in my eye is filtering what I see in other people. We cannot judge fairly with our own faults in the way. That's a whole other topic about whether we should judge or should not judge. Um, but I believe we are called to hold each other accountable, which includes having to judge, right or wrong. I have to think about, in the fall, one of my customers that I go to is a huge apple orchard, and they have a, a bakery and a, they call it the pie shop. And they sell a lot of baked goods, apple baked goods. And occasionally, I've picked up apples there for some of you, for myself, and I walk through the the sorting and packing shed, and they got this line, where they put this huge crate, it's about a pallet size, and it's got about three foot sides on it, full of apples, just a bulk bin of apples, and they put it on a tipper, and it tips up on this conveyor, it goes through a wash system, and there's people standing down both sides. And they're just picking out this one, and throwing that one, and some of them are rotten, and some of them have cuts on them. And so they, they separate them out, and they, the ones that make, make it through all the way, and then they go through a, a grading system where it's got uh, slots that are different sizes. And if the apple falls through, then it's this size, and if it goes on to the next one and falls through that slot, then it, and it diverts it off, and this is A grade, and this is B grade. And some of them they pick out because they're not as pretty, and blemishes on them nothing wrong with uh, the fruit, but it doesn't look as nice. So they grade them all out and they put them in different boxes. That's exactly what Jesus calls us to do, is to be fruit inspectors. That's what those guys are doing. They're going down that line. Well, they're inspecting this one's good enough and that one's not good enough. Well, this one goes in that box, and so on and so on. Oh, that's a different kind. We need to set it to the side. We're running a different variety right now. Jesus said... I'm going to get ahead of myself here if I'm not careful. Jesus said we are to inspect fruit. That fruit inspector standing on that line with every apple that rolls in front of him, he has to make a judgment. He has to make a decision. Is this past the criteria that I've been given for my job or not? If it passes, it rolls on. If it doesn't pass, he separates it out. He makes a judgment, so don't be confused by the word judge or to judge. We make judgments every day. When I get ready to leave the house in the morning for work, I may look at the weather forecast, I'll definitely look at the thermometer, and I make a judgment about how many clothes I need to wear, what type of clothes, if I need to have rain clothes or you know, clothes for hot weather, so on. I make that judgment. Make a decision. Let's move on to point number five. A person's heart will be known by the fruit they bear. A person's heart will be known by the fruit they bear. Um, Keep moving in verses 43, the same chapter. For there is no good tree which produces good fruit, or There is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil." For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. So Jesus draws that same parallel between a fruit inspector. You can walk up to an apple tree. And you've been picking apples off of this tree for the last 12 years. And they're good apples every time. Do you expect to go there this fall and pick good apples? Absolutely you have no reason to believe that there should be anything except good fruit. You've always gotten good fruit. You know, weather permitting, insects permitting, but it's consistently good fruit. Versus, I remember Verlin telling the story about the crabapple tree that they had in their yard at Robin Street. He tried to make good apples out of a crabapple tree, pruned it, Fertilized it, made it look good tree. And it still made crab apples. Depends what your objective is. I guess that could be considered good fruit. But for eating, no, it was not good fruit. But the tree determines the fruit. The same way your heart determines your actions, your speech. Jesus said, every tree is known by its own fruit. Now, you can get, I suppose that analogy could break down a little bit if you want to start getting into talking about grafting. Um, and Paul breaks that analogy down very, very well, um, talking about graft, being grafted into a good vine. Um, and I, I have high appreciation for that analogy But Jesus is talking specifically about our nature, our core heart. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. It just is. A person's heart will be known by the fruit that they bear. The phrase that gets me, though, is the end of verse 45. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. I suppose to a point we can say the right things around the people that we think it matters to. But at the end of the day, what's in our heart will come out. Point number six. Our thoughts will dictate our actions. In Luke 12, verse 1 to 3, Under these circumstances, after having so many of the multitude, thousands of the multitudes had gathered together, they were stepping on one another, Jesus began saying to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, Whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light and what you have whispered in the inner rooms shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. I'm sure all of us have at some point and maybe many of us do now have secrets from other people. Maybe they're just surprise secrets. Fun things. Today being Mother's Day, I would venture to guess there might be some surprises happening. I don't know about them, so I'm not going to give them away. I also wonder how many of us have secrets in our hearts that we really don't want other people to know about. Things that we might be, probably would be ashamed of, embarrassed by, if other people knew about. Thoughts that we think, maybe things that we do when we think we're alone. Jesus said, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. There is nothing covered that will not be revealed and nothing hidden that will not be made known. You might get away with it for years and years and years. Think of the song that says, And oh, what a weeping and wailing when the lost were told of their fate. They cried for the rocks and the mountains. They prayed, but their prayer was too late. In Revelation, no, not Revelation, I read that wrong, sorry. Proverbs 23 gives some more, uh, some more insight to our thoughts, dictating what we do. Proverbs 23, verse 6 through 8. Do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsel you have eaten and waste your compliments. Not a very pretty picture. There is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. Point number seven maturing in Christ is a result of speaking God's truth with God's love. Ephesians 4. Make sure, I get the right book this time. Ephesians four, verse thirteen to sixteen. <clears throat> um, he's giving. This is just after he's given the the list of uh, spiritual gifts and reasons why we should have these. Some of the reasons he says. Um, let's start in verse twelve. For the equipping of the saints. For the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. There are several hours worth of teaching in those few verses, but... I would like to point out specifically um, the growth that is happening, the maturing. Um, The other day, I heard noises coming from the yard. I was doing stuff outside. Where where are the boys at? I was looking around. Eventually, I found my two middle boys about... 12 feet up in a big apple tree. And they were just playing away. It was fine. And then I figured out what they were doing. They were picking off apples about this big. And obviously throwing them at each other because that's what boys do. But I was thinking about that fruit. That fruit was picked off. Oh, and I asked one of them later. I said, well, did you do you like to eat apples? Yeah, we like apples. I said, Well, did you eat those? Well, we bit into one, but it wasn't very good. And I think Kyle said, uh, Made your teeth feel sharp. So that, but that fruit was robbed of ever hoping to be mature, it was just small. And you've, you've, you've all been exposed, at least some, to. Gardening and planting and the, there's a, there has to be a process of maturing that fruit. you have this tomato plant has flowers, and as soon as the flower goes away, you can see this tiny little fruit, this tomato it's just starting to form, but it's green for a long long, long, long time, weeks, and finally it gets big and it looks the right size to eat, but it's still green. If it's the right size, and I pick it and slice it, is it going to be good on a tomato sandwich? Well, that might be debatable. Some people would say that green tomatoes are good. I don't think so. But it's the right size. It's the right shape. It looks, everything is good except the color. It's still growing. It's still maturing. And when it turns starts to turn color, then you see, oh wow, it's finally, all this time, I've been watching it, it's a tomato the whole time, it's still a tomato, still a tomato, and eventually it gets big enough, and then it matures, and it becomes ripe. This process that he is talking about in, in uh, Ephesians 4 we have gifts to help each other where we lack. I'm, I'm a good prophet. I love to speak truth. But I'm not real good in the aspects of mercy. I mean, it's black and white. It is what it is. And I can tell you exactly what's right and what's wrong. I can proclaim truth. But for me to come alongside someone and care about them in their situation and have mercy for them, that's not my, my strength. And so, Tony is much better at mercy than I am. He compliments me and we grow together. I was over at Dean's, I stopped at Dean's garden the other day and was talking to him a little bit and I noticed there's this long row of tomato plants and there's a couple of strings that he's got woven around. these. He's got posts every 10 feet or so and there's about three or four plants and this string just weaves back and forth through there. And all these plants are tangled together with each other and also around those strings. And as they grow, he he told me, he said, if they grow up, I'll put another string through there and weave it through there. They grow up some more. What What was the names for the two different kinds of tomatoes? I can't remember. I'm sorry. Okay, indeterminate and determinate. Indeterminate, they only get to a certain height and they just they most of their fruit is ripe within a week or two, right? Okay. The the indeterminate, they will keep growing as long as they have sport. He told me about greenhouses that have tomato plants that are the stems are twenty five feet long. Where they just the stems just kind of lay down on the ground and they just keep keep the top part up on the strings and the plants just there's this long stalk laying down here you don't have any branches on it at all because the fruit is always in the top part of the plant and they just keep growing the same plant I would call that a mature plant (laughs) big thick heavy stalk on it probably but there my point is all these plants in a row with string they're all leaning they're all tangled together and they're all leaning against the string, leaning against each other, the posts give them strength, if the wind comes through, they're probably going to be okay as long as they're tangled in with the rest of the plants. It's kind of the same way with the church. <clears throat> we need each other. We kind of need to be tangled up together, so to speak. Um, we need to get close to each other, which means probably going to see some things about you that you might not be comfortable with everybody seeing and I'm going to have to let you see some things in my life that might make you a little uncomfortable but we grow together and then we have scripture as the the string and the post They're, they're the solid things we can lean on them but we need each other too Maturing in Christ is a result of speaking truth with God's love. Until we all, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. It's this complete, mature, healthy organism. So let's go over these points again. Number one, godly grief or sorrow produces repentance. Number two, come out from the world and be separate. Plain speech, yes means yes. We can't judge fairly with our own faults in the way. The person's heart will be known by the fruit that they bear. Number six, our thoughts will dictate our actions. And maturing in Christ is a result of speaking God's truth with God's love.